0: Hey, uh, my name is Ben Clawson. If we haven't met, I lead the college ministry here at Creekside, and um, yeah, yeah th- thank you, uh, Derek. Appreciate it. And um, man, it is—it's just like a—it is a really, really amazing pleasure to get to to be with all of you today. Um, it's it's Go Weekend, as we talked about just a minute ago, and. Listen for me. For a number of years now, this has been a weekend that has uh, that has. If if vision is a leaky bucket and it's easy to forget the things that are important, this has been a a weekend that for me, for the past number of years, has just put, poured fuel on the flame of my desire to see God's glory known amongst the nations. And I've been praying that the exact same thing would happen for each of you today. So it's, it's just really, really a privilege with to be here with you today. Um, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 for a brief amount of time today. Not Revelation? What? Yeah, Matthew chapter 28. So meet me there, and for this Go Weekend, we're just going to very briefly ask an answer, or ask a question that I do believe that Matthew chapter 28 answers. And then we're going to bring up some friends who are living in the reality of this verse, of this this chapter, that I'm really, really excited for all of you guys to get to meet. Um, so if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 28, meet me there. In the meantime, while you're turning there, uh, I remember growing up, my grandparents always used to get me two kinds of gifts. They would give me the the, the gift that I like wanted and asked for, like, you know, when I was 10, they got, actually, I don't remember any of the gifts I ever got. I'm just re- realizing right now. A ripstick. I think that was a thing. Y'all remember those? Y'all write y'all ripsticks? A ripstick. You just did that sort of thing. They would get me the ripstick that I asked for. But then they would also get me, every Christmas, um, a share or two of some company. They would get me one or two stocks, like a share of, we got you this year for Christmas, a share of Facebook stock. And I remember, to me, as you know, a, a 10-year-old, I was like, great, thanks. Really, this is so nice of you. What do I do with this? It's hypothetical money. What do I do with that? That's no, no benefit to me. And for years, they would like give that to me. And I was like, this is of no benefit to me, but thanks anyway. Um, but then, of course, you know, you'd see where the story's going. I grew up, became an adult, and was like, no, actually, that was the coolest gift uh, every single year. I really appreciate that you got me that gift. And I came to the uh, age that I had to have those stocks come under my own ownership possession. I had to figure out sort of what to do with them. And I had that moment that I realized, I know um, what is less than zero about the stock market. That's how much about the stock market I know. I don't know how to do what to do with these things. So fortunately, a friend of mine um, who named Kyler, who's a financial advisor, stepped in and helped me to know what to do with my you know, couple of shares of Facebook stock or whatever. And I tell you that because I was asking the question, How do I wisely invest that which I have been given? How do I wisely invest that which I have been given? And ultimately, I share that because every single one of us has been given an incredibly valuable asset. The most valuable asset that any one of us has been given is not our shares of stock. It's not our house. It's not our car. It's not our savings account. The most valuable asset that we've been given is our very lives, is our lives, We all only get one and no one makes it out alive, right? The most valuable asset that we've been given is our lives and every single one of us is faced with a choice. Will I spend my life or will I invest my life? Will I spend or invest my life? There are so many things that you can spend your life on, right? You can spend your life building wealth or fame or popularity or comfort. You can spend your life chasing the American dream, but ultimately, the question that we all have to wrestle with is when I reach the end of my days and I leave and I leave this earth, what do I leave behind? A pile of things or a lasting impact? Will I spend my life on things that don't last or will I invest my life in things that last today and tomorrow and on beyond the horizon into eternity? So today, the good news is no matter where you're at, no matter what stage of life you're at, No matter what you've done in your past, the good news is that there is still a chance to invest your life in what God says counts. There is a chance to invest your life in what God says counts. So the question that I want to ask today is what does God say counts? What does God point to and says, this is what I want you to channel your energy, all of your time, your focus, everything you do. This is what I want it to be aimed at. This is what I want you to invest your life in. What are those Things and I believe that Matthew chapter 28 holds the answer. So if you're there, um, this for some context, Matthew chapter 28 is at the end of Matthew's gospel. So if you were to ask the question, if I were to write about the story of Jesus, what would I want them, what would I want my reader to just hang on at the very end? What would I want the closing application, the driver to be at the very end? And this is it, this is what Matthew chose, this is what I want to leave them with, and this is after. Jesus, if you haven't heard the story of Jesus, it's a a pretty remarkable one, right? Jesus, God in flesh, came and lived the perfect life, had all of these amazing teachings taught like no one else before, no other rabbi, no other teacher. And then though he was perfect, we put him to death. And Jesus died on the cross, but rose again three days later, conquering death in a real historical event. He rose from the tomb. He left the tomb empty and said, if you want salvation, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I died and rose again three days later. That's what Jesus says to us today. But before the moment that he rose back up into heaven to take his seat alongside God the Father, what Jesus did was he walked with his disciples for a number of days. He taught them a certain number of things, and this is what he taught them. This is Jesus' final address. This is what he says. Hey, all of the teachings that I've given to you, every single thing that I've said to you, this is the application. You know how sort of in our sermons here sometimes we'll like teach for a while and then have that moment, but, how, but what does this mean for you? And then we talk about three ways to pray this week. At the end of our message, the application, this is the application moment for Jesus. I mean, he's taught them a lot of things that he wants them to apply, obviously, but this is the one that he's like, and this is your mission. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? Is this right here? So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 starts like this. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So pause. Principle, we should listen to people who have authority in the right spheres, right? If you break your leg, what do you do? Who do you listen to? WebMD? No, you listen to a doctor. If you get in trouble with the law, right, if you, uh, if you go just a little too fast on Fitch and end up getting pulled over, got a, it's your fourth time, it's your fourth speeding ticket, you're in a little trouble with the law, who should you go to to sort of ask, how do I get out of some of this legal trouble? Your sophomore political science major friend, Kevin? No, you go to a lawyer, right, because we trust people who have authority in the right spheres. So let me ask you the question, who do you trust Who has the authority to answer the question, what should the purpose of my life be? Who has authority to answer that question? How about the one who created the very concepts of purpose and meaning themselves? How about the God who created you, who created me, who created every single person in all of human history, who took on flesh, lived and died for us, and to whom all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given? How about that guy? I think that guy has authority to answer the question, what must I invest my life in? And this is what he says in verse 19. Go therefore and mathetusete ponta ta ethne, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The answer to the question, that we're asking today is that God wants us to invest our lives in making disciples of all nations. Let me say that one more time. God wants us to invest our lives in making disciples of all nations. He wants every single thing that we do to be aimed at this purpose, not because we're we're robots that God needs to just carry out his plan. No, but because in obedience to God there is no greater joy. There's no greater joy and fulfillment than doing what we're made to do. So God's like, you have this little sense in you that I wanna live for something, I wanna die for something. He's like, guess what? I made you for this. I made you because I want you to be my messenger to all nations for your day job, to be a means by which you raise funds to send people or go yourself, for you to disciple and parent your children, to be gospel laborers. I want you, every single thing that you do, to be aimed at making disciples of all nations. This is the mission handed to us by our Savior Jesus. This is what Jesus wants us to be all about. Live, breathe, eat, and die for. So two quick notes on this. Number one, God's plan has always been to make disciples of all nations. If you were here a couple of weekends ago, we talked about Revelation chapter 7, and Revelation chapter 7 pictures this beautiful moment the people from all tribes, languages, and nations stand before the throne of God, worshiping him. It's a picture of the reality in our future. And I love this other picture in Habakkuk 214. It's one of my favorites. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Have you ever been out on the vast ocean? You look around you, and all you can see are the waves for miles and miles and miles. No land on the horizon. He said, picture that, except it's not water covering the earth. It's the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Every single place, not just in the West, not just in the United States, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord flooding Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and Southeast Asia and all ends of the earth will be covered and full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Also that Revelation chapter seven, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God has always planned on making disciples of all nations. The question is not, will God do this? The question is, will we participate, right? And then a second note that's really, really important on this passage, it's this, and don't lose me in this sort of bulky sentence, but the Great Commission is not a general command to make disciples, the Great Commission is a specific command to make disciples of all nations. It's not a general command to make disciples. It's a specific command to make disciples of all nations. Here's what I mean by that. In Matthew 28, he uses the word ethne. It says, make disciples of all, panta, that's all in Greek, the ethne, the nations, And he's talking not about a specific country, nation state, as we would think of it today. He's not saying make disciples of China. No, he's saying make disciples of all of the ethnic groups, all of the ethne of China. Every single one of them is what I want you to make disciples of. So what he's essentially saying is the people who haven't heard of Jesus, who don't know Jesus, the places that disciples haven't been made, I want you to make disciples there. Nobody grasped this better than the Apostle Paul, Right? A couple of really fascinating texts that I just like missed for so many years in Romans 15 that talk about Paul's ambition look like this. In Romans 15, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told will see and those who have never heard will understand. What's Paul's ambition? To preach Christ where Christ is not known. To make disciples amongst the ethne where there are no disciples. His mission, plant a church, raise up disciples, and form so many people in a land of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that Christ died and rose again for their sins. And then raise up those people to own and work and plant churches themselves. And then to do the exact same thing. To do exactly what Paul is doing. And then this really fascinating uh, chunk of verses at the end of Romans 15 where Paul says this. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, notice what he's saying here about the certain region of the world that he's in. He says, I no longer have any room for work here. Now, um, don't miss this because it's scripture, but this is ridiculous, right? (laughs) Right? Paul's talking about certain cities in the pagan Roman Empire, certain cities where so many people, hundreds and thousands of people are worshiping Caesar, not Jesus. And he says, I have no more room for work here. Why? Why does Paul say that? And he says that because here, right here, this place that I'm referring to, I have raised up a church to share the gospel with those people. I have to keep moving. And where's he going? He's going to Spain. Why do you think Paul's going to Spain? Because the gospel has not yet reached Spain. There's an ethne in Spain that does not know Jesus, and his mission is to make disciples of specific nations, of all the specific ethne. Are you following? Are you tracking? That's what Paul is saying here. So you might say, well, that's, that's great and all, but that was, but that was Paul's world, Right? Like, this is the 21st century. Surely by now, 2,000 years after Jesus gave this great commission, everyone has had the chance to hear or at least has access to internet and can find out on the internet. And In reality, the sad truth is that that's not a reality. So give me just a couple of minutes to update you on the state of the world today. A term that you need to know is um, unreached people groups an unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. So specifically, if you're wondering what that means, that means that less than 2% of the population is an evangelical Christian. Less than 2% of the population is an evangelical Christian. And you might say, Well, surely that's not many people, right? What a tragedy that in a place where less than 2% of the population knows Christ, in reality, it's actually 7,000, there are 7,000 unreached people groups in our world today. And what's that total out to? Well, it's actually about 42.5% of the world's population, which totals to roughly 3,369,917,000 people. which is just a a weighty number to share, honestly. Um, And most of them live in this region of the world known as the 1040 window. The 1040 window is from 10 degrees latitude to 40 degrees latitude from about Western Africa to Eastern Asia. That's where 90-something percent of the unreached people of the world, 3 billion-some people, live in that window. And it's not a question of unbelief, All of these people who live here, it's not that they have just rejected Jesus, it's not that it's just non-believers in this area, it's that they don't even have access. They don't have access to know about Jesus. It's most likely that every single person in this region of the world, if they wanted to find out about this guy who lived in Jerusalem named Jesus of Nazareth, they could ask their friends, and their friends, and their friends, and then their friends could all ask their friends, And most likely, no one would ever know the name of Jesus, know that Jesus had died and rose for their sins. And you're like, but surely the church is doing something about it. And as a whole, these are the the statistics. The church has sent out 5.5 million Christian workers worldwide. Praise God. That is an amazing number that 5.5 million people have surrendered and gone where Jesus wants them to go. That is absolutely amazing. But Of those, four million of them are amongst the reached world. That means like us, we live in a world that's reached. In the United States, if you want to find out about Jesus, you are very capable of finding out about Jesus. In South America, the same is true. Four million of them are amongst the reached. One million of them are amongst the unevangelized. That means a location that there was once a gospel presence, but it sort of died out, and there's not much gospel activity going on. You can think Western Europe, that sort of thing. And then only 20,000 of them are actually laboring amongst the unreached, perhaps the neediest part of the world. Only 20,000. And then our Christian giving, another amazing number. Christians around the world give $896 billion a year, which is absolutely amazing. Don't get me wrong. But 82% of that is given to local church ministries, 12% is given to local evangelism, 6% is given to missions, and only 1.7% of that 6%, which is 0.1% of all Christian giving, is given toward the unreached, is given toward this mission. And I share all of this because I just remember what we just prayed together, what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him who they have not heard? And how will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The reality is that so many people around the world don't even have a chance to hear. I remember when this became reality for me. A few years ago, my wife Hannah and I got to go on one of Grace's college mission trips to North Africa, and we got to go, and um, I remember we went to this country that was 0.2% Christian, 0.2% Christian, and I remember after I met this guy named Malek, we went to a coffee shop that was absolutely ridiculous. It was called The Crown, the Clown. and Malek brought four of his friends, so it was me and four of Malek's friends in an unreached people group, and I informed them, hey, not too far from here, there was a guy named Jesus who lived for you, who knew your name, who died for you, and then rose again three days later. And I remember, I remember Malek asked me, if that story is true, why has no one ever told me about that? And I just lament the reality that this is our world today. And I just have to think, if the Apostle Paul were, in the 21st century church. What do you think he would say? <laughs> don't you think there would be some part of him that would be like, "Wake up, church. Come on. This is, this mission hasn't changed. The need still exists." And I share all of this heaviness and don't please don't mishear me and hear that I'm saying that it is a waste of time to make disciples amongst the reach it's a waste of time to be here? Absolutely not. Why does God have you in College Station, Texas right now? Absolutely, to make disciples of College Stationites, 100%. God rejoices when the lost people from reached people groups come to his family. God rejoices in that. That is your mission. But I think we need to hear the message from God that he desires to make disciples of all of the nations. And right now, there's an imbalance of our efforts and our labor and where it's being spent. So today, I just want to begin to ask the question and remind us that God will inevitably do this. God will ransom people from every tribe, language, and nation, bringing them into his family. The question is not, will God do it? The question is, will we participate? So I just want to make this simple plea to us today, Creekside, Would you invest your life in making disciples of all nations? Would you invest your life in making disciples of all nations? Would you reject the cultural temptation to spend your life on things that don't last and instead invest all that you've got in the mission That God has handed down to us. Because guess what? It matters. It matters today. It matters tomorrow. And long after you're gone, it will matter. In heaven, this is the kind of thing that will matter. Will you do this not because you're motivated by guilt that you haven't or shame that there's so much of this around the world. But rather motivated by just overwhelming head over heels love for your King Jesus To whom you say, Jesus, if you say jump, I'll jump. If you say go, I'll go. I just want to do whatever you call me to, wherever you call me to, whenever you call me to it. Would that be your motivation to just say, Jesus, like we're just saying, I surrender all. I surrender all humbly at your feet. I bow. I want to go whatever, wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to go.